Welcome to another episode of Consider This. This is Steve. I'm in the studio today with Drew Moss, and we are doing a deep dive into John chapter 1, although it is honestly much bigger than that. Drew had almost the entire New Testament to deal with, except for like the last six pages. So uh, we're going to talk about that, and I hope you enjoy. Mr. Moss, Preacher Moss. Yes. You may speak. All right. Yes, I <laughs> just interrupted Steve's first he, attempt he, of that intro. He so ruined our intro. I'm I a, yep. Sorry, my bad. My bad. Do it. Yeah. <laughs> you were forgiven before it ever happened. Uh, okay. So, well, let's just jump right in. I don't have any interesting personal questions or reflections to go to go after you with. Uh, it's fine. I'm not a very interesting personal person, so that's uh, well, fine. I yep. beg to differ. But <laughs> nevertheless. We're just gonna we're just gonna get straight to it. So, as I said in the introduction, you you had a giant swath of scripture from mm-hmm. which you could have constructed mm-hmm. the message that you brought us last Sunday, and surely there was more to say than you could possibly yeah. have said. Yeah. So, to you know, what were some of the really key things I think that that were that just couldn't make the cut yeah. because of time, but that you'd like to explore more further yeah. uh, further in our conversation here. You know, there were, yeah, you're right, because it's like I'm trying to talk about all of Jesus's life. And I also believe, you know, we believe it's kind of the point of this series is that this whole this whole series has been pointing us to Jesus right. to get us to Jesus. And now now we're there. And it just feels like, oh, gosh, there's so much you could say. And Edmund's coming, so we don't have time. So here we go. Yeah, yeah. No, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's even like when I was trying to figure out my text, I started to think about like doing some of the early Christmas things. Mm-hmm. And so, well, we're going to get to that in a little bit. So I'll stop that with the, the announcement of his birth. Um, just a few other things that I think in John 1 that were kind of fascinating to me as I got to study but but did not get to actually get into very much. Uh, one was we jumped for just a little bit down the, this rabbit hole with the word, word, mm-hmm. that Jesus mm-hmm. was the word. Logos. Yes. And yeah, and this is, you know, growing up, I heard a different explanation on the um, the significance of the the logos of there than than what I talked about on Sunday, mm-hmm. which you know Sunday I talked about from the Jewish perspective using the Old Testament scriptures, the the importance of the word of the Lord yep. in in the Old Testament. It accomplishes what He wants in creation and revelation and salvation, and that's Jesus is the one doing this. Um, and I think that that's true. What I often heard more kind of, I said growing up, probably in, in high school and college was uh, the Greek philosophic idea of the Logos, which is like the ultimate reality underneath all other reality huh. is, is kind of what, what that they would use that word to describe like kind of the, if, if the rest of the world is almost kind of like, uh, a shadow or a reflection, like the fundamental reality beneath it is the logos. Uh, and, and, and I was always told this is what John is doing. You know, one of the things I was listening to the Bible project on this and, and they actually argued that the Jewish thing is, is perhaps front and center because John is Jewish and he's got the scriptures in mind as he writes this. Mm. But to recognize that John is writing in a multicultural world and he is a bilingual author, it's, mm. you know, it's a fast, I, I hadn't thought about this, but as Americans, we're just used to only th- even thinking in one language. And in a world where, where everyone spoke two to three languages, it's not... They probably have the ability to kind of think on different language concepts, right? And logos holds a key idea in the Greek 
John probably is is hitting both audiences a little bit with this idea that Jesus is uh, the power, the the word of God that does these things, and also he is the ultimate reality underneath all things that are are true. You know, um, yeah. so when you only speak one language, it is almost impossible to understand what it means to think in a different yes. language and all of the implications. Yes, of all of the assumptions and the cultural things and. You know, it's it's a very rich thing. I uh, I studied Spanish earlier in life a little bit mm-hmm. and got to the point where I realized I was thinking without translating. Yeah, uh, it was it was a fascinating, and it didn't last long because I didn't continue yeah. to study it. Yeah. Right, it atrophied quickly. But it there's even like a worldview or an understanding of reality that's implicit in a particular language yes. because yes. words are metaphors for you know ideas. Yes, uh, yeah, it that's. I don't think I've ever heard it put that way. Yeah, before. we cannot. There, there is. There's a worldview that is even somewhat shaped by our language, mm-hmm, totally. um, right? And and so I, I can't even get my mind around having a solid enough grasp of two languages that even kind of gives me different perspectives on the world a little yeah. bit, you know. So, um, and this comes to a little bit the 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 verse that I you know that I think is so important, and I mentioned on Sunday, John one fourteen, the Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. I think it's I think it's Gary Burge who has a commentary on John who talks about how radical that word of that that verse would have been and how shocking to both Jew and Gentile. I mean almost a blasphemous idea yes, to that the God Jewish could people. become flesh. Yes, yeah. to the Jewish people that that is that is tantamount to blasphemy that you put any any human being uh, and describe them in terms of deity and mm. and of godness, which is you know by the way, I, side note, I think one of the greatest proofs for the resurrection of Jesus is the fact that you had in the first century, you had Jewish people completely reversing that belief, right? That you have Jewish people who that's the kind of thing that gets you executed, and the worst thing you could do as a Jew, and all of a sudden they're doing it. They're calling this man God and worshiping him. They had to have seen something crazy. They well, the, had, the idea that the God is one, right? The Shema, the Shema is what it's called? Yes, yes. Uh, it almost seems to violate that, uh-huh. and, and the, the Trinitarian idea of Christianity sounds like polytheism yes. to other religions, yes. to Jews and Muslims. To Jewish people, yes. And it's, I mean, it's, and it's honestly, it's hard to explain. Yes, right. So, but when I think of the word logos, I also think of Colossians, where it says he's the image of the invisible God. Right. Yeah. He is. He is. He is a God that we can't see, but made made flesh as you yeah, said yeah. so that we could touch and feel and relate uh, you know and, yes. and have some better comprehension of god yeah that is and it is such a it would have been such a radical and like I said even blasphemous idea mm-hmm. this the word became flesh but on the gentile side that's actually uh, for the for the greek way of thinking it's also very countercultural uh, in that they the greeks seem to hold to kind of a dualistic view of the world a a spirit and flesh, soul and flesh, kind of the spiritual world and the physical world, and and the soul and the spiritual is kind of the good side. Almost of things. Gnostic, Gnostic idea. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. This is where Gnosticism flows. Matters from. inherently. Yes, evil. yes. Yeah. Uh, this phrase in uh, in Greek, this motto that a, a lot of them had, I think it's called soma summa, which is translated, "The body is a tomb." Hmm. And so, like this is, I'm walking around and my spirit is trapped inside this body. One day it will be free. And and this idea, why would some 
some being who is pure spirit and pure beauty and and pure like freedom, just living in complete freedom. Why would that spirit want to bond itself to a body, to to flesh? Uh, would be you know this is one of the reasons the resurrection was so crazy to Gentiles, uh, to the Greek people is like why would I want to come back in my body right, when right. I'm finally free of it? You know what I mean? Because they just couldn't grasp it, and so it was it would be a radical thing that that God would. Uh, be willing to take on flesh would be willing to come and and walk amongst us. It, it would be it would boggle the mind. Well, and, and that was an early rest. heresy yeah. that uh, the church fathers had to come against. Yes. Right? So John deals with it in I think first, second, third. John, he, he's saying he who denies that Jesus came in the flesh yes. is the spirit of Antichrist. Yes, and that spirit's already come and it's in the world. I think Paul dealt with it in Galatians uh, some. Yeah, there does seem to. I'm trying to think where uh, John the most, but you know, well, Paul's yeah. talking. First yeah. Corinthians 15 is dealing with this idea of yeah, people yeah. saying Jesus didn't really not resurrect in a body. We're not going to resurrect in a body. Why would we want to do that? Right. You know, yeah. Right. Um, and that, yeah, and as you can see, this is why it's probably the earliest, the earliest key heresy that the church has to deal with mm-hmm. is this belief that Jesus did not really come in a body because in that world that was such a crazy thought. Why? Why would why would something so clean and pure come down to something so dirty um, and weak? And and it is that's a great question, uh, man. The incredible love of God uh, that some that that He would come and and take on flesh and be a part of us and those kinds of things. Well, and you Amazing. see it in the Apostles' Creed, right? One of the earliest statements of fundamental yes. core belief. Yes. Uh, he came in the flesh. And yes. That's, that's very much a part of what they were thinking and teaching. Huge thing. Huge thing. Yeah. Any other, any other uh, things that you didn't get to deal with, Sunday, that you'd like to explore you know, more? The here? only other only thing I'd say briefly is this phrase, I think it's in 16, uh, in uh, actually, let's see, yeah, 16, and did we have all received grace upon grace from his fullness? Mm-hmm. One of the things I came across is actually that's probably better translated. And if you look in your Bible, you'll have the footnote, not grace upon grace, but grace in place of grace. Um, and so it's not, it doesn't seem to be as much as a, he, we keep heaping, heaping on, on yeah. but it's it's actually a grace that replaces a grace. And, and I think what John is saying mm-hmm. is that what Moses brought, because yes. he's talking that through Moses came the law, through Jesus came grace and truth, and that what Moses brought was was not like a ugh, gross bad thing, yeah. uh, but that the law itself to the Jewish people was a gift, was yes. a, which is the word for grace. It charis. takes all the uncertainty out of. I mean, now we have certainty about what God wants and what He expects. Yes. Not, yes. We don't. We have no idea how to appease yes. this God anymore. And yeah. so they loved it. So what John is saying, grace in place of grace, and through the law came Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus. Is not. Uh, bad stuff through Moses, good stuff through Jesus. It's good stuff through Moses, better stuff through Jesus. The fulfillment of it all. Yes, in the Jesus. fulfillment. Yes, yeah, and I yeah. just I thought that was a cool, cool concept. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I have never heard that. I'm learning things, y'all. Yes. I'm learning things <laughs> as I sit here. Yes. Okay, so you referenced Luke 24, where Jesus um, it says that Jesus interpreted the things concerning himself in all the scriptures. Yeah. Right, so he was putting Old Testament stuff in context. Yes, uh, as far as him being the fulfillment of, yes. of so much uh, of, of Scripture. So, what does that mean? Like, are we saying every story ever, every command, everything in the whole Bible is all about Jesus? Yeah, like, yeah. what? How do how do we 
put that into proper context, I guess, and understand yes. that a little better. Yeah, because this has been the, as I said, the driving force of our series is mm-hmm. that this is all about Jesus, yeah. and it is all one story pointing to him. We literally looked at a book, uh, I don't know, in the last few years, Preaching Christ from the Old yes. Testament together, yes. right? Yeah. Yes, yeah. absolutely. And and there are, like, uh, well, and I'll just back up and say, I, I don't believe it is saying that, that every minute detail in the Old Testament is, is oh, this is all actually about Jesus. The, uh, you know, one, one example that gets used sometimes, and it has been used in, in history, is like uh, in the story of Jericho, Rahab, who takes the spies in, mm-hmm. um, uh, you know, she gives them shelter, she keeps them safe, and the spies tell her as we leave, hey, when we come to destroy this town, you hang a scarlet rope out your window, yep. and we'll know, don't touch that Everybody family. in your They're apartment safe, right? gets, yes. gets to survive. Yes, and there are people who've gone, oh, you get it? She is saved by scarlet, just like we are saved by the scarlet blood of Jesus. That right. we are saved. And, and, they, and they are seeing that this is a thing about Jesus. I don't think that's the level of detail that, that we're talking about, right? There are, mm-hmm. there are some texts that are specifically about Jesus, uh, you know, Isaiah 53, the yeah. suffering servant, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. When Jesus tells those disciples on the road to Emmaus, do you not see from the scriptures that the Messiah had to suffer? I know he's taking them to Isaiah 53, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. um, it's like, it's it's there, you know, and so there's some that are directly about it. Most of, when we say that the Old Testament is about Jesus, most of it is not directly saying Jesus. What we're saying is that the Old Testament is Christ-shaped, that, that when you put all all the pieces of the puzzle together, there are these themes that come out over and over again that point to a need for a Savior, mm-hmm. that point to this idea that God would dwell among us. Um, and so, uh, you know, that the ram caught in the thicket for Abraham and Isaac is is pointing to this, this there's this theme that's going to come up over and over again as of something else being substituted for me. God will and provide my, yes, the sacrifice. Yes, yeah. God will provide. That is the great line. God yeah. will provide the sacrifice. And a person, you could read that and go, oh, that's cool. God provides the sacrifice. But if you if you start to pay attention as you go through, you say, oh, this is kind of a, a theme. That it's a God, foreshadowing, perhaps. It's yeah. a foreshadowing. Jesus, God yeah. provides it. And so that's what we're saying is not that you should see in every verse or in every story has to be about Jesus, but that the the broad strokes that the Old Testament is painting, and as it all begins to come together to form one puzzle, you see you see the shape of a cross. You see Jesus if you put it all together there. And so. man, is it beautiful. Yes, yes. Oh my goodness. So much. You talked about cultural Christianity, and mm-hmm. when you reference that, I think of uh, hearing Matt Chandler years ago yes. talk about how difficult it is to preach in the Bible Belt because people are so inoculated thinking that yes. they're Christian when they're not really yes. following Jesus. Yeah. Uh, but so uh, elaborate on cultural Christianity. Yeah. Yeah. Like what did you know? Peel that onion back a yeah. little bit for us. What do you mean? I think I think Chandler. I'm glad you even mentioned that Chandler. His, that that phrase is such a great one. Inoculated, right? Which is what happens when you receive just enough of something to not be affected by it anymore. Right. Um, that's what we do when we inoculate. Oh, we good. give just inject just enough of the virus that you can fight it off mm-hmm. and not. And that's what and that's what has happened with cultural Christianity. Jesus, people get just enough of him to be immune to him in a sense. Um, and 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 that is. That is big. The other thing Chandler 
I remember Chandler's the one who introduced me to it, I think. Uh, but he's not the one who came up with it. There are a couple sociologists, I want to say Christian Smith, and there's a woman, and I cannot remember her name, uh, who coined this term moralistic therapeutic yeah, deism, deism yeah. right? And, and they argue that this is the primary religion of, at the time they were saying, of young people in America. This is probably 20 years ago. Mm-hmm. This, is the prime, this is the religion of young people in America. And, and now I would just say it is, it is the religion of cultural Christianity, which broken down, uh, moralistic, the idea is that we are to be good people, right. and, and good uh, means essentially kind and honest, mm-hmm. right? Don't mm-hmm. steal, don't be mean to people, that's essentially what it means. Moralistic, therapeutic, that it is that this religion or this belief system is designed to help me feel better and to help make my life happy. Um, and then deism, and that is that uh, there is a God and he exists, but he is not really involved in the world. He, he created everything, he set it in motion, but he stands back. He and spun kinda, the top yes. and then st- he steps back and watches yes. it spin. And he yeah. stays out of my life except for in times when I need when I, I need to kind of throw up a prayer, things are hard, and, and ask him to kind of step in and do something. But other than that, he doesn't really care what I do with my life as long as I am a good person. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that is, you know, uh, the, I think a dominant worldview for a lot of people, particularly in Bible Belt, um, whether they are, a lot of them don't go to any sort of organized religion because this is good. God doesn't care what I do as long as I'm good. And then there are a number who do, who are involved in church and, and maybe in Bible studies and these kinds of things. And yet that is honestly more how they operate is by a moralistic, therapeutic, Deism rather than a gospel and Christ focused. What we talked about is not submitting to Jesus. I was just going to ask the question, like, what is the antidote for the inoculation? Yes. And submission probably is the the most important idea there. That idea of actually, I think, I think trusting, I think understanding that my sin makes it where I can't save myself. So this idea of being I'm a good person, so I'll go to heaven. Right. First, it is it is grappling with the truth that there is no such thing as being a good enough person to go to heaven, and therefore I need Jesus to save me. Uh, Your goodness and, doesn't merit favor with God. Yes, yeah. and therefore, if I need Jesus to save me, then I'm going to have to submit to Him. I've got to I've got to place my trust in Him, right? And I would just say, you know, there's a there's a book actually uh, by Dean and Sarah, and I'll give credit to Max Johnson, Jim's son, who put me onto this called the Unsaved Christian, and it's it's all about this idea of cultural Christianity and people who are not truly saved but would put the label on themselves. As I've Christian. heard it described as easy believism, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. You, know, you say so, the yeah. you say the sinner's prayer and man you're good yeah That's and live it. a good life ish yeah. you know what yeah. I mean yeah. as as you define that uh, and I I would have said uh, even as I p- picked this book up I just thought I don't know if this is I think that this is going to become less and less of a thing as you know we've talked about the rise of the nuns in America that there are less people who are identifying with any sort of faith or denomination right, they're right. more comfortable just saying I'm nothing largely unchurched yes agnostic yes. don't care yeah. and so I would have said they're very that that cultural Christianity is almost dead because if you if you don't really want to be a Christian don't be a Christian people don't care yeah, anymore right. is what is they're okay with just not being a Christian but I am just finding it's it's not dead, and and we're seeing it with students all the time. Students mm-hmm. who want to be involved in our ministry, students who are getting in table groups, students who are integrated, and yet we are seeing as they are in our ministry. Wow, this this student really has no grasp of the gospel. They have never actually encountered Jesus. They essentially think 
I'm a Christian because I'm a good person. And, mm-hmm. and they have not grappled with what it is to trust Jesus and to submit to Jesus. And, and I think it's very much alive and so worth, worth talking about. One more question. It would be this. How do we reconcile Jesus's strong statements about obedience and, speak, and speaking of submission, yeah. submitting to him in order to be a Christian with our belief that we are only truly saved by grace? Yeah. Those, there's a tension there. There's an apparent possible contradiction, yeah. Yeah. right? But, but in reality, is there really a contradiction? Yeah. So how do we reconcile yeah. those things? You know, on Sunday, we talked about some of these really strong statements of Jesus. If a man loves his father or mother more than me, cannot he is not worthy of me. You love your sons or daughters more than me, you are not worthy of me. Or if, you, if you're not willing to take up your cross and deny yourself, you cannot be my disciple. And, and so it sounds like Jesus is saying, I can't be a, I can't belong to him if I'm not willing to like sacrifice and give up all these things. And yet we, we say, you know, well, there's nothing you have to do to belong to Jesus. It is, it is faith in him. We are saved by grace through faith alone. And, and how do we deal with those things? You know, there's, I think there's a, a couple different directions people will go. Some people just, uh, they just buckle down and try to be as good as possible and try to go, I guess I, I do need to be a really good person for Jesus to love me. I think that is a natural inclination of humans and our religion is to try to prove ourselves and our worth. And mm-hmm. so people mm-hmm. go that way. Um, and then there are a lot of people who, who I think they either have to just kind of plug their ears and ignore the things that Jesus says, or I, I've heard people say, uh, well, Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, you have to do these things. He's not saying if you want to be a Christian or if you want to be saved. And and they would separate those two things and say those right. are different things. Uh, I, and and we would strongly disagree with that. Uh, yeah, Jesus. Classic da- easy believism. Yes, that view. is easy believism. Right. All you have to do is believe and you're saved. And, and there's some people who will take the, the road of discipleship on top of believing, right? right? right. And they will be a disciple of different Jesus. Different class of Christian, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that is, yeah. But that is, you know, Jesus, by the way, never uses the word Christian ever in all of his and all his rides, right? Because the word Christian hadn't started being used yet. Had to get to Antioch first yes, century to find it, that. Yeah. Exactly. And so when Jesus says disciple, he means Christian. If you want to mm-hmm. be a Christian, uh, then you must deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. And I would say the, the way these two things come together is, yes, we are saved by grace through faith. There is nothing I do when I come to Jesus. He does not say, jump through this hoop and this hoop right. and this Clean hoop Clean yourself first. up and then we'll talk. Yes. No, I am, I am saved when I place trust in him, when I place my faith in him. But uh, faith is uh, to is more trust than just kind of mental agreement right so the if you and i were to do a trust fall and and i was going to say i trust you right to trust you steve is not to say that i i mentally agree with the fact that you could catch me if i fall back right right right. uh the trust you is to there's an action there i act is means i actually fall back trusting you to do that right and so to trust jesus is to throw my life into his and and to go, I'm going to, I'm falling back. If you really are Savior and Lord, if I believe that you are, I'm going to live as though that is true. And I'm going to fall back on that end, which means if, if it's not, then I'm, I'm, I'm falling like flat on my back. If you're not truly who you say you are, and I'm way, you know, my life is a waste if, if you're not truly who you say you are. Mm-hmm. And, and I, do, I do not believe that I am saved by any degree of 
Um, well, if Drew makes sure he sacrifices this much, he's in. But if he sacrifices a little less, he's out. If Drew does it uh, the majority of the days in his life, then he's in. But if he, I, it is much more about a, a heart of trust that goes, I am submitting to Jesus and I may fail a billion times and I may blow it a billion times. And so it's not about how good I am, but there is a level of like, uh, there is a life uh, that that is lived in submission that says you trust him. Even when you trip up and screw up and all those things over and over again, but you trust him and, and it shows by you trying to live this out rather than just going, checking the box. Yes, Jesus is the son of God. I believe that. It is me stepping out in faith to follow him and submit my life to him. Um, and when I do that, even when I mess up, there is grace and he saves me mm-hmm. uh, over and over and over again because I can never live up to the high standard of Jesus, but he, he does save me in it. So. it. It reminds me of Jesus saying, if you save your life, you'll lose it. But if you lose your life for my sake, you will find it. Yeah. And that take up your cross and feel like, if you don't follow me, you're not worthy of me. Yes. If you don't submit to me and trust me and let me, you know, own you. Yes. You're not worthy of being a part of me. And yes. those are pretty powerful, clear statements about submission and following being part and parcel of what we do. Free gift that costs you everything. Right? Yes. This is the way I yeah, put exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. That is great. Free gift that costs you everything. It costs all my, my, my effort. My life is his. Um, and it is not, uh, I'm not purchasing my way there mm-hmm. by the good things that I am doing. Uh, I am, I am trusting my way there by giving my whole life to him. And, and then, no matter how, how well I do or sometimes don't do, but I, I'm trusting him and, and, and letting him work that out and, and mature me and sanctify me and ultimately save me and bring me to heaven with him. So, Brother, I appreciate all your preparation and the, the message you brought last Sunday, and I know I'm not alone in that. Uh, any, any last thoughts, anything you want to add, or are we, we good? Man, I, just, I would just say uh, it, I got, I think I will, Jim will probably get to argue that he has the best topic and he may, but I just had, it was just, man, how, how good is it to get to talk about the, the climax of the story? And I, yeah. I was just so grateful that I get to talk about Jesus and, oh, yeah. and, and hearing this, this was good for me to think about all week long in prep preparing just his centrality and how he ties everything together and what that means for my life. It was just, just a good one to get to focus on this last week. So I was grateful for it. You know, if you've never taught or or preached or anything like that i will tell you the the preparation is a huge Mm -hmm. blessing like drew just referenced um i taught guitar for a while and i learned more about playing guitar when i was teaching guitar than at any other time in my life so the teaching is is really a great it's a great blessing it's a lot of work but it's a great blessing hey we hope the conversation has been a blessing and uh we often encourage this on these podcasts but Man, if you have questions or you want to talk more, you probably have no idea how thrilled we would be to engage in a conversation with you about faith. Uh, anything, you, anything you'd want to talk about, we'd love to do that. So until next time.